everything is real. I'm Natalie D. I'm Drew Toothpaste. And today we are talking about how the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin is absolutely real in every way a thing could be real. And this is entirely timely. Of course, the dictionary word of 2022 was goblin mode. Right, right. And so what better way to talk about uh, what is probably last year at this point? (laughs) Right. I will say that the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin is one of my favorite UFO stories. I particularly like it because not only are the little guys so great looking. They look great. And we're going to get to this in a minute. But if you're in a rush, you can look up Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin spelled exactly how you would expect and see a number of illustrations. They've captivated people for decades. Right. And the reason is they're such cute little guys. But it's a particularly captivating story to me because my family's from Kentucky. This happened in Kentucky. Right. It happened in southwestern Kentucky. Right. Near the town of Hopkinsville. Hopkinsville, I was interested to find out, is not a particularly small town. There are like 30,000 people in Hopkinsville. Hopkinsville itself is... You know, a a town-sized city, I guess you would say. Right. There's a few million people in Kentucky. Most of the people in Kentucky are in the big cities. Of course. But this is an area where it directly intersects. If you don't have a picture of American geography in your head, it is uh, close to Tennessee. It is close to southern Illinois. Mm -hmm. It's close to Missouri. Right. And so this is a part of the country where not a lot of people end up unless you have family there or you're traveling through there or something like that. Right. It's a very weird and interesting part of the country. I think it's beautiful in Kentucky. I think it's gorgeous. So this actually took place near... Now, it took place on a farm near Kelly, which is near Hopkinsville. Yeah, Kelly is a smaller little townlet, village, amlet, I don't know what you would call it. A little guy who is just north of Hopkinsville. And they found little guys near the little guy. Who would have thought about it? Right, right. Now, Natalie, why don't you start at the beginning? What happened? Okay, so this happened in 1955 on August 21st. Okay, so this was in the summertime. It was a hot night, right? There was a family by the name of Sutton who lived in a farm near Kelly, Kentucky. And they showed up at the police station at like 11 o'clock at night. And they were like, okay, cops, listen to this. Our house has been under attack by aliens for like the last three hours. (laughs) And the cops came down and investigated it and it became like a sensation right it attracted all kinds of media attention it attracted all kinds of tourists and people who were there to rubberneck and it was like a big to-do and it made the news and all kinds of stuff it was it was a fairly big story and it was like probably one of the first ufo stories it was one of the first ufo stories that was a, a close encounter of what the third kind Right. Where you actually see and in some cases touch the aliens. Right, right. Now, I will say as a UFO head, as a cryptid head, I don't think that whatever these are, these little guys, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't think they're aliens. I think they live here. Right. But go ahead. I think that they're interdimensional, but we'll get into that. (laughs) 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 So there was the Sutton family, right? They lived in this farm. They had some friends over there with them, a guy by the name of Billy Ray Taylor. And Billy Ray is over there visiting the Suttons, and he goes out to the well or wherever to get some water, right? So he's fetching water, and he sees a craft that is flying 
towards the house and over where he is and hovering in the air before it like descends onto the ground. And he said that when it was flying through the air that it had like the exhaust was like rainbow. Okay. Which to me kind of sounds like that weird cloud thing, right? I wonder if it had something to do with the heat and the humidity from the August air and them doing something with it. Oh, sure. I mean, you can, if you if you have a sprinkler going in the summer, you can see a rainbow in the water. Right, sure. right. So that, to me, I thought that detail read as strange initially, but then when you think about it, you're like, sure, okay, I got it. Uh-huh. Fair enough. So Billy Ray comes back to the farm and he's like, okay, got the water, guys. But also there was a UFO on the yard. <laughs> and <laughs> everyone's like, shut up. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Like, no one believed him. Like, whatever, Billy Ray. Yeah, you he, was, anything, right? he was a young guy. He's not from around there. Yeah, Right. He was just like the friend over and he's like having a laugh, right, with the guys. So they continue on with the evening and they're making fun of this guy saying there was a spaceship and then the dogs start tripping balls <laughs> and the dogs just start going and going and going and it's beyond like they saw a squirrel and they're just like being really annoying about it and just going crazy, right? And so Lucky Sutton, who is one of the sons of the family at the farm, right, he and Billy Ray went out back to see what was popping and they saw, like, a green glow bouncing around the trees. Like, it was, like, reflecting off the branches of the trees, right? Mm-hmm. And then they saw this little guy come out of, of the wood around the house. And he was just coming at him. And they said he wasn't walking. He was hovering, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Right? He was crazy. And they said he was about three feet tall. He had a big head that was round. They said it was almost perfectly round. Mm-hmm. It had long arms that almost extended all the way to the ground with talons at the ends of their fingers. And they had these eyes that were glowing with yellowish light. Okay. Now, every picture I've ever seen of these guys, if you're listening to this and you're a Pokemon head, these guys to me always look like Sableye, that one Pokemon. Well, in fact, I think Sableye was modeled after the yeah. classic drawings Probably, yeah. of the Hopkinsville Goblin. And I think it's funny. This is just like people seeing skeleton shirts at the truck stop and saying, this looks like the share zone. Well, that you're going the wrong way there. <laughs> I think people could see Sableye and then they see the Hopkinsville Goblin. They say that Goblin looks like Sableye. Right, but right. Uh, it, it has these two widespread glowing eyes. Mm-hmm. This little skinny body, long arms. short legs, and very long arms. In fact, uh, one of the things that they repeatedly mentioned, because this whole family was there in this right, house. Right. There's this family, and they had guests over. And so it's like a full house, a little house, to right. three or four-room farmhouse, I believe. Uh-huh. Their legs did not bend. Oh, they didn't at all? They basically said that they didn't have, like, knees or ankles or whatever. They had very small legs, and the way it seemed to them, the way it was described, is that they were kind of walking on their hands and just kind of letting their legs drag. Oh, okay, yeah. I heard that they also did, like, little flips. They flipped around a little bit. Yeah, so they had strange movements, and this is something that is characteristic of an encounter with a non-human being like a humanoid type of creature that's unidentified, is that they have movements that are not 
characteristic of a person. If there's a guy in your yard and you start shooting and he like dives out of the way, you wouldn't describe him as doing anything unusual. Right, right. But so in their interactions, all of their descriptions of these little goblins moving around was really strange. And I have to say, that's the one thing they didn't get right about Sableye. Sableye is kind of crouched and poised and ready to run. This guy- He's Ember, yeah. Yeah, this guy was not. He's a little stiff, stiff monster. He's a little weird guy. He's all right, though. (laughs) Would you say he's going goblin mode? Right. Maybe, maybe. We'll talk about what even a goblin is. What is a goblin? Like, the definition of a goblin versus something else. I never got that deep in, like, the taxonomy of monsters right. to know what a goblin is. A goblin is a small, grotesque, monstrous creature that appears in the folklore of multiple European cultures. So... I mean, when you think goblin, you think of a guy with a long nose like the Earl of Lemongrab. <laughs> Right. You think of, like, someone living under a bridge. I think trolls and goblins and little guys like that have sort of a continuum, a sort of spectrum of the way they're they're phenotyped, maybe. Right. I mean, I'm just trying to think of what I described this guy as a goblin myself. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would. And you got to keep in mind, this is 1955. So they pro- they did not have access to the same words as we did they probably knew a thousand racial slurs we do not right i mean honestly it's just as likely that this guy would have been called the hopkinsville critter oh yeah oh for sure in fact there was a movie called critters that came out that was largely inspired by the hopkinsville goblin case here we go full circle over and over again here we go to me though that implies that this story is one that has like far-reaching like cultural significance and it has really embedded itself in the collective consciousness at least in the united states well sure and i think there's something to be said for the fact that if an encounter with a creature so permeates everybody's interest that there's something to it there's something fundamental about it that's striking. So what happens? So these guys are all laughing at Billy Ray Taylor because uh-huh. Billy Ray said he saw a spaceship. Right. And then they look out the door and they see a green glow and they see one of these guys. They see the guy, right? And they said not only did he look like a Pokemon, but they said that his body was glowing and reflecting light and looked like it was made out of a silver metal, which is why I was thinking maybe it is interdimensional and it was just a trick of people not being able to perceive it fully. Okay. Maybe that's why his body looks so weird. That's just a part we could see of it, right? Right, yeah. So, anyway, as one would do if they were confronted with something like this, they started blasting. Oh, yeah. They started shooting at it with... A shotgun and the guy started charging at him with his arms up in the air and they blasted him with the shotgun and it was like oh no and it ran off into the woods right yeah they, they spooked it with the shotgun they didn't injure it it didn't seem to die it didn't fall down yeah it ran off mm-hmm. and then they ran into the house right and then after this happened after they had shot at this guy outside and they went back into the house these alien guys started tormenting them for hours They were, like, peeking in the windows and climbing around on the roof of the house. And these people were terrified, and they had their shotguns, and they were, like, blasting. Like, they would see one, like, looking in the window, and they blast it. Right through the window. Right. Yeah. Like, they would be on the roof, and they were, like, really terrified trying to get these things off their house, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And 
it was just a nightmare. <laughs> like, when I think about the story, I'm like, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen if you see a UFO. <laughs> is that you end up in an hours-long standoff with aliens, like, all over your house. And I think there's something really striking about them being little guys and having a bunch. Now, there were multiples of them. There were multiples. It wasn't just one of them. Right. There were multiples. There's something about the aspect of, like, having a bunch of them scoot around real fast and being at, like, knee level or waist level. That's just, to me at least. I would just start kicking them. I I think for some reason, to me, that's scarier than if they were, like, human level. Because if they were, like, human size, you'd kind of have an aspect of, like, square up. Right. Like, they'd hobble towards you, and they'd be all humanoid, and you'd be like, square up. Like, we can do this. Right. But when they're just charging at you like a bad dog. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, when a dog attacks you, and look, I've been attacked by dogs. I've been attacked by more than one dog. Dogs don't like you. I it, I don't know why. I have great dog vibes. Or, uh, I guess I actually have bad dog vibes, but I love I love dogs. I have great dog vibes. Dogs all love me. I really <laughs> like all kinds of dogs, all sizes, shapes, types. You know, doesn't matter. But I've been attacked by dogs. I just walk a lot and I get attacked by dogs. It happens. There's something about getting attacked by something that small. Because, like... I've had confrontations with people and it's not as scary as a dog because the dog is just down there and it's like when you get on the dog's level, like you're handicapping yourself if you want to swing on the dog because you got to get down there and lean over and stuff. And otherwise, you're just kicking, and nobody can kick that good. Right. Oh, I'd fucking kick it. Fucking UFO. <laughs> <laughs> kick it, alien. And I think I think the other, the other thing to think about is, at least with me, like... I am not a really frequent, like, animal kicker. So, like, (laughs) just the thing is, just having a little animal, it's, like, really... I'm like, come on, man. Like, I would not... I couldn't kick an animal, but have such a revulsion towards aliens that I feel like I would absolutely kick an alien if it was shorter than me. (laughs) I would kick it all day. (laughs) And so these aliens are are besieging the house, mm-hmm. would you say? Right. They're coming from all sides. These guys are inside firing out of every right. door and window on these suckers. And their bullets are not affecting the goblins. Right. They're just bouncing off. And I've heard some reports say that you could hear it like ping, ping, ping. <laughs> <laughs> They're just not of this world. They're not reacting to our human weapons. Those human weapons are good for... Earth animals, not those guys. And again, I mean, I think the only reference point for people who were really enmeshed in popular culture in 1955 would have been like Superman or something, right? Man of Steel. You know, you shoot Superman, there's classic illustrations of bullets bouncing off Superman's big chest, right? Right, right. I think that would be your only point of reference. But one thing that was notable about the Sutton's farm is that these folks were not living lavish. They had a farm and they had woods behind the farm and they had a farmhouse. They didn't really have anything in the house. Right. They weren't stocked up on comic books. No, no. They were not, you know, doing 40 and research. They didn't even have a phone. That's why they had a standoff for three hours before they went and got the cops because they couldn't call the cops. What did they do then at that point? Okay, we got little guys popping up in the windows. They're blasting them, right? The 
wife of one of their guests saw a goblin guy coming to the door. And she said it looked like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and little legs. (laughs) And she also said that it was shimmering and metallic. And she said it was shiny like her refrigerator. Okay. And Billy Ray rushes out to try to get this guy off the roof, right? And the goblin reached down from the goddamn roof with his little claws and was touching his hair and shit. (laughs) They grabbed Billy Ray and pulled him back into the house, and they're like, fuck that, that guy's gonna, like, rip your shit up, right? (laughs) They started blasting, shooting into the darkness. They saw a goblin in a tree descend like slowly to the ground and then run off into the woods when they shot off into the yard, right? They continued to hear scratching on the house and all over the place for hours until finally some of them nutted up and they're like, okay, we're running for it. We're going to run for the truck. And they ran out to the truck and drove off to the police station, right? Mm-hmm. And they brought the police back and they investigated lightly and then the police left and then the goblins came back and they were dealing with these goblins until almost sunrise the next day. Before it was finally over. The cops came. They're like, eh, eh, I don't know. I see some shotgun shells. I see this house. It's all blasted to shit. And then they left. And then then they came right back. Cops aren't useful for anything. What were the cops going to (laughs) do? But that's what happened. That's the story of the Hopkins Old Goblin. For the most part. And so here's what I think about when I've been thinking about this case lately. One detail that I've been keeping to myself because I wanted to tell it after the fact right is that there were 11 people in this house it wasn't like two or three people it wasn't like a couple guys partying together it was 11 people and three of them were children one of them was like an elderly lady who was like a church lady and it was her house that they were all standing around in so not only were they church going folk and they were not drinking over that house there was 11 of them there and it was broad daylight when it started happening So this is one of the things that the police noted. When the police came by, they did find shotgun shells everywhere. They found holes in the window in the door screens where they had fired shotguns through them. They noted, now this is a small town, and they knew Glennie Lankford, who Mm -hmm. was basically the matriarch of the Sutton family. They basically said that she was... Like you said, a church lady, she would not let people drink in her house. Right. And you got to keep in mind, this is a small farmhouse, okay? This is not a big McMansion out on a mega farm. No, I saw a drawing of the footprint of the house, and it had, like, three rooms in it. Uh Uh-huh. And they weren't big rooms. It was, like, very much a little farmhouse, and they had 11 people in it. It was full. It was full of folk just getting harassed by aliens. Every single person in the house except for one of them said they saw it. Every single one of them except for one laid eyes upon it. Yeah, and what I was saying is that the first thing people say is, oh, were they drinking? First of all, I've been drinking as something to do when you have fun uh, for 20 years. I've never seen an alien. I've never had so much to drink that I had a close encounter. Right, I've never drank so much I hallucinated. It doesn't... (laughs) It does. It would not explain anything, and the police even noted. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because this is something that other people who didn't believe it would say is, oh, they're just drunk. Right. Not even realizing, perhaps, that drinking doesn't do that. Right, right. It's always an excuse, right? <laughs> but they, they were stone-cold sober. Right. These are folks that didn't have much money and didn't own many material goods, 
And this is August, so they probably harvested some stuff and sold it. But for the most part, you're going to be waiting still a couple months to, you know, sell what you've grown all year and make your money. Right, right. Well, a lot of these people work in the carnival circuit also. Some of these people involved in the story. Okay. And so they were working because it was summertime. Well, that's where Billy Ray came from, right? Right, right. So, okay, so like I said, there was 11 people involved in this. That is noteworthy to me. The fact that they fought it off for three or four hours before going and getting the police means that it started attacking their house at 7 o'clock in the evening in the summertime. So it would have been broad daylight. Mm-hmm. It was not a, a mirage or something caused by the lack of light. The first time they saw this thing, it was not at night. Like, it, you could maybe say oh it was dark and they saw a bird out in the dark it wasn't dark when they saw it the first time it was daylight and also being like oh it was a bird these are folks who've lived out in the country for their entire lives and their parents lived out in the country for their entire lives for as long as they have memory do you think that these guys don't know what a bird looks like do you think these guys have never seen an owl before And so one of the things you would do if you lived in this area at this time, because both of my parents grew up in Kentucky in the 40s and 50s, one of the things you would do is you would get your shotgun or your rifle and you would go out in the woods and go hunting. Right, of course. You you could get a twenty two and go out squirrel hunting and you would walk through the woods and you would be in the woods for hours. You would sometimes go out before dawn. Sometimes you would come back after sunset. Right. People who live in this area were absolutely familiar with all of the flora and fauna in the area. Yeah. And in fact would probably quite frequently take a day and walk 10 or 15 miles through the local area. So these are not people who live in apartments and they go outside and they've never seen an animal. Right. Those streetlights here, I can't see nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sold on the owl story. So what is it about this story that makes everybody believe it now? Okay, so first off, this story is famous. Right? It was detailed in a book in 1955 called Close Encounter at Kelly, which I read earlier today also. And that book gave rise to the phrase little green men as a descriptor for extraterrestrials. And so this was like an influential case. So it carries more weight just because it is a cultural touchstone. Mm-hmm. Um, after they wrote this book and they were involved in like media stories and this and that, right? There were other people in Southern Kentucky who also reported seeing goblins. And they have thought that this area's proximity to the Mammoth Cave system and all of the geomagnetic anomalies in that area may have something to do with it. And that is what I thought also, is because when I heard this part about, like, the shimmering metallic look to their bodies, it sounds very strange, but it would also be explainable by them not existing in our plane of existence, right? Yeah, and if, you know, we talked about, when we were talking about the hollow earth, whether or not the hollow earth exists, you would have to, to take a great deal of time and effort to find this out but we know for sure that mammoth cave exists i've personally been in mammoth cave we know for sure that the mammoth cave system is one of the largest cave systems in the continental united states and that we don't even fully know the extent of it because going in a cave is so dangerous and takes so much time and expense to really you know get crews together and do this safely that 
probably the full extent of it has not been explored. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What I'm saying is that the entrance to Mammoth Cave is right outside Bowling Green, which is the next town directly east of Hopkinsville. This is not only close to Mammoth Cave, but there are almost certainly openings to Mammoth Cave right around Hopkinsville and Kelly. Right. right. And there's all those geomagnetic anomalies, which are so often linked to strange things happening. Right. And so like the combination of these guys seeming interdimensional with the fact that we are sitting in an area where there are these weird fluctuations, that to me makes it seem like an explanation for what's happening. Because, I mean, that's my personal idea on what is going on. I think everything is just interdimensional stuff. And we know that there are geomagnetic anomalies in places that are reported to have UFO activity. There's similar anomalies near Catalina Island in the Pacific. Off the coast of California, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's anomalies all the way up the Appalachians. There's geomagnetic anomalies around this area in southwestern Kentucky and around the Ozarks. You know, there's weird shit happening all over the place. Right. And it is tied to geomagnetic anomalies and fluctuations. So the general idea is setting aside consciousness, the brain has electrical signals. And so the brain is susceptible to magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. This is why transcranial magnetic stimulation works, for example. If you are in an area where you have areas of high magnetic flux or you have shifting bands or fields of magnetism, this could easily influence your perception. Right, right. And so... Just like you mentioned, it is possible that having this weird magnetic activity might allow you to perceive something that you would not perceive otherwise. Right, exactly. And so other areas had reports of similar creatures, aside from Kentucky, right? In Dover, Massachusetts, there is a creature called the Dover Demon, who sounds very similar to the Hopkinsville Goblin. It was a small gray humanoid with a big round head and long, thin limbs, and it would climb trees. The Chippewa Cree and Ojibwa Native Americans had stories about a race of humanoid tricksters called Manigishi, and they said that those guys had big round heads and long limbs and yellow glowing eyes. Sounds like a goblin. It sounds like the same thing. And, you know, if they live underground, then it would be easy for them to be anywhere where there's caves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm I'm just saying, you know, if you see goblins and you're next to a deep, unexplored cave, the goblins might have come from the cave. That's the easiest explanation. Right. And if the goblins come from a cave and you live in an area next to caves, and there is a long tradition of stories of goblins that look just like them, <laughs> just like the ones you saw coming from caves. Are you going to be like, nah, it's not true? Or are you going to be like, well, maybe there's something to it? <laughs> okay. So we we know what happened, and this has all been reported. I want to know what is the hard evidence that okay. this is true. So the first bit of evidence is when these guys rolled up to the police station. You have to keep in mind, this is like in the 50s in Kentucky. These guys lived out in the country. They were not city folk. They had no phones. They had no expectation that the police were going to get them out of problems, right? Yeah. It was, it's not like how it is right now where you're like, I heard someone punching my car. I'm going to call the cops. Like They very much, they had their guns and they would take care of it themselves, right? And that was just the vibe with dudes back then. And when these guys showed up at the police station, they were scared as shit. And they were like, 
out of breath, having a hard time about it. The people at the police station took their heart rates when they were there. This was like after they had gotten there and Mm -hmm. their heart rate was 140 BPM, which is pretty fast. They were very upset about it and very frightened. Yeah, that's like twice what most people's resting heart rate probably is. Right. The police reported that none of the people they spoke to were drunk. And they also noted that the Suttons did not tolerate drinking in or at their farmhouse. Mm Mm-hmm. So the police were like, these guys aren't drunk. And they knew as a fact of the matter that they were not drunk. There were shell casings and holes in the windows that lined up with their story about blasting through the house, right? There was also the Isabel Davis book that we had mentioned earlier. And they noted that Glennie Langford, who was the matriarch, hated all of the attention from the UFO stories. She hated it. And also I had read that... When people would go back and interview her later, when she would tell the story about it, she still looked frightened about it. Like, she was still obviously disturbed about what had happened. Now, a a detail that I found very interesting is that when the Suttons and Billy Ray Taylor and Glennie Langford, all these characters, were at the police station, they ended up having these goblins sketched out and independently They had two or three of them describe them to folks there at the police station, and they questioned them independently because, you know, cops are shitheads, but they know how to separate people and grill them and find inconsistencies in their stories. Right. Just because they're evil doesn't mean that they don't do what they want to do, which is to convict people of crimes and get them in trouble for lying to the cops. (laughs) And so I'm sure they very much wanted to get these folks in trouble for bothering them. Right. They wanted to poke holes in their story because they didn't want to have to deal with it. Right. So they brought these people in individually and they had a policeman draw the sketches of the goblins and all of them described it to a T. All of them described it in such a way where they identified the features of the goblin it had these large ears that looked sort of almost wrinkled like elephant ears this feature was present in every single one of the drawings it had eyes that were not forward facing but were sort of on the sides of its head yeah and that they were bulbous and glowed yellow they all portrayed the shape of the head in the same way they all portrayed a body with long, thin arms that reached almost to the ground. Mm -hmm. And even though its torso had a humanoid shape, you know, the torso was probably about three-quarters of the length of its body, and it had little small legs. Mm -hmm. All of them had the sketch of this goblin drawn up the same way independently. And that is incredible to me because I don't know how you could have colluded on it because, again... These folks weren't trained artists. No, right. I wouldn't imagine that if you gave a pencil to an average person on the street that they would be able to collude with somebody else and have a a sketch artist draw something the same way. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you stop the average person on the street and ask them to name five countries, like, half of them can't. Right, right. In a big city. (laughs) In 2022, where we have access to all of the information in the world. Right, right. right. So, one thing that I wanted to touch on when it comes to the story. I like this story a lot. There's a certain subset of stories about paranormal events or, like, UFO stuff or 
cryptid stuff where I feel like it it belongs to me because it's like in my area, right? Like I feel like being from like the area of Appalachia, I I take it personally. Like I take those stories personally. Like I, I take ownership of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hopkinsville Goblin is like this to me. Uh, like the Flatwoods Monster is like this to me. Mothman obviously is like that to me. Like these stories that pop up in Appalachia from people who are like the people who I knew growing up, right? Like my family members, people I've known, right? There is always, always. When you were talking about these stories, people who try to debunk them because these people are hillbillies. Absolutely. And so I always feel like there's an element of classism where if you cannot impugn somebody based on them being on drugs or being mentally ill or being a crackpot or any of the other reasons that you would impugn someone's ability to witness something then you will say that they are a hillbilly they're just a dumb redneck and that's why you should not believe them it's pure and simple classism and there's an aspect of okay if the aliens were so smart why didn't they come to the city right it is something where folks frequently have a problem where if something happens to somebody else and not them if something if somebody who they feel is not deserving gets something that they themselves didn't get, they feel as though they have been shorted. Right. And so there's really an aspect with this of people having hatred for farmers and having hatred for people in rural areas where, look, if you were born on a farm in Kentucky in the 40s, I want to know what your plan for upward mobility is. <laughs> I want to know, how do you get to New York City, which is the cool place for smart people? <laughs> what is, <laughs> how do you, how do you do this? Where are your bootstraps? Okay. This is like Abe Lincoln shit. I'm going to tell you, my dad was born before World War II in Kentucky on a farm. He got power in his house when he was five. He told me that he vividly remembered it because they had installed one of the light switches upside down, and so it said no instead of on. <laughs> when you live in rural Kentucky in the 40s and the 50s, your choices are you can work on the farm, which means you will never be able to do anything but work on the farm and subsist until you die, and my dad knew that his father, my grandfather, had worked the farm in the Great Depression and was unable to make a living and had to leave home, had to leave his family behind to do itinerant carpentry. <laughs> right, right. Okay, and this is not a bootstrap. This is like, how do you not starve to death? Right. This is not getting ahead. This is like getting by. You can work on a farm. You can work in a factory in, again, 40s and 50s, do you think factories were safe? Do you think OSHA was always there watching? Right, right. Do you think you had gloves, goggles, masks, gauntlets, steel-toed boots, and guards on all of your belt and chain-driven equipment? Right. <laughs> I don't think you did. The third option is to join the military. This is why people join the military. It's not because they love war. It's because they don't have a choice. Right. If you want an education, or if you want any opportunity at all to have your life be any different than the sucking poverty that you've known for your entire life, you have to go to the military. And so 
still people will look at a situation like this and say those are dumb hillbillies. Well, it's just like somebody in Norway laughing at you for having to pay health insurance and still not being able to see a doctor. It's not your fault. It's where you were born in the circumstances you were born in, and the guy in Norway's an asshole. Right. <laughs> there is also an idea of people who are impoverished getting a leg up that really steams people's buns. And the thing that happened after these goblins were sighted, you know, this family was terrified. They were besieged. You know, these creatures were tapping on the window three, four in the morning after the cops left. Right. Rapping on the windows with their fucking talons. Right. They were so fucking And they're just like laying paralyzed in the house like, I guess we just wait to die. Right. After this happened, people flooded in and just walked right onto their farm. And they were like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, we want to see the goblins. Why aren't the goblins here? Guess you're lying. And then so many people came to the farm that the Suttons had to, like, fence it off, right? Uh-huh. And put up signs and say, if you want to come to the farm and see the farm and see the farmhouse, it's like 50 cents or right. whatever. Right. And, and they charged, then... They charged to ask them questions, too. Yes. And then... <laughs> And then what was the response of the media? Oh, they're just trying to make money. Right. They're just trying to make money off their story. No, their lives were ruined. They can't farm when there's people fucking stomping all over their land all day long. You can't take care of animals or grow anything when people won't stay out of your business. And so at every turn, (laughs) despite the fact that this is a story that's corroborated, it's a story that echoes things other people in the region have said and just kept quiet about because who do you tell that you saw a goblin? If in 2022, if you see a goblin in your yard and you take a picture of it and you put it online, within minutes, people will show up to say that it's fake and you're trying to make money. Right. It's the same shit that's always happened. So this is a story where everybody else in the area has seen the same goblins. Right. People around started seeing goblins also. And and like I said, there was also a history of stories of goblins that sounded just like it. So what do people think it might have been if it was not a goblin? They think that they were drunk. Again, this is the classism thing. I had read a quote where someone was like, look at the head of the creature and then look at the head of an owl. Now get really, really drunk. I'm talking mid-1950s rural Kentucky drunk. So his basis for disbelieving it was that it's obviously just a drunk hillbilly. I want to know where this guy thinks that everybody in 1950s Kentucky had the money to be smashed all the time. Right. How right. did how did 11 <laughs> people have the money to get rip-roaring drunk? By 7 o'clock. <laughs> By 7 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you were to drink, which this is... It's insane that this is even an explanation anybody would have. If you were drunk, you would not be terrified. Because famously, one of alcohol's effects is that it makes you less scared. Right, makes you not give a shit. I mean, this story is very compelling to me. Also, there was a military base in the area, too. And when these guys made the report of the aliens in their yard, they had guys from the Air Force base there within minutes. The same time the cops were there, they had them crawling around on their property. They were very interested in what happened. And it was actually mentioned in Project Blue Book. Okay. 
they came to no conclusions about it. It was just the guys who went there had their little mention of going to check it out, and that was about it. But there was interest. Government people showed up to poke around. It wasn't taken as being bullshit. Like, if it was just some yokel making shit up, would all these military guys and government guys be showing up to investigate? They wouldn't be wasting their time. This was something where it was intentionally misreported and that this was a fabrication I want to know why nobody else has ever done this. Right, right. So this is a compelling story to me. It's one of my favorites. Where do you stand on the Hopkinsville Goblin? What is your score? Well, before I go in with my number, I'm going to do what we always do, which is ask the folks on our Discord. I want to know, given what you've heard today, what do you think of the Hopkinsville Goblin case? One, not real at all. Ten, completely, unbelievably real. And if you're not a member of Discord, patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity will get you in there. Personally, I'm going to give this an eight. Oh, that's my boy. <laughs> I don't think that there's any reason for so many people to have independently reported the same story. If you have 11 people and you are trying to make plans for where to go, Maybe not all of them show up. Right. <laughs> people are not good at making plans. Mm -hmm. Two people are not good at colluding on a crime, right? Two people collude on a crime and you separate them, they will turn on each mm -hmm. other. Eleven people who are reporting something, it is incredibly unlikely that this did not happen to them. And I'm going to say the same thing that I always say about ghosts, which is that their perception is that this event happened. They perceived this event happening. All of them perceived it at the same time. There's an idea that's been thrown out about this case and others called a mass delusion mm -hmm. or a mass hallucination. And I just don't see it. The only tick marks against this and they're not necessarily indicators of falsehoods, and they're not indicators of it being imagined or hallucinated, is that there's no physical evidence of the creatures themselves. Right. The strange movement, you know, the floating, the jumping, the fact that the bullets were pinging off the fucking guys. Right. The weird movements echo the same thing that happened in the 1994 aerial school landing where these aliens were moving in these strange glitchy ways that seemed even hard to perceive mm -hmm. as though you were not quite looking at them they were shifting around the classic gray alien one of the theories with the classic gray alien is that you know it's not gray it doesn't just have a uniform gray body it is wearing something just like you know the big Almond-shaped eyes are perhaps spectacles, contact lenses, something mm -hmm. to protect its eyes from this environment. It might have a suit in the same way. These little guys coming out, you know, they live in a different environment. It's entirely possible that these guys physically had some kind of suit on. Right. Whether it's metallic, which is going to be, you know, for a person in the 50s, that's the easiest way to describe something that's, you know, silver and shiny or glossy. Or whether it's made of some unique material. Right. Like the memory metal, something like that. Anyway, this is all to say that nothing about this case, assuming that you don't disbelieve in the existence of non-human species, <laughs> nothing about this case doesn't match up. 
They independently described what happened. All of them recounted the events independently, both at the police station and after the fact. They had individual illustrators at the police station and after the fact draw up illustrations of these creatures, and they all matched. The only reason that this might not have happened is, again, no independent observers there saw these goblins, but there are reports all over Kentucky. And even the television show Hellier that came out a couple years ago noted that there were little waist-high goblin creatures that come out at night Mm -hmm. in southern Kentucky. This was in southeast Kentucky, kind of close to Hazard, if you were were old and know about the Dukes of Hazard. (laughs) Kind of near Whitesburg, maybe. Right. Uh, Anyway... Nobody ever found a body of a goblin and said, this is it, this is the goblin. And they took it to New York City and opened (laughs) them up and said, by God, these are goblin guts. Right. (laughs) That's just, that's the only part of it that does not verify that all this happened. But the police came and the police made a report that there were used shotgun shells in the house. There were holes blasted all over. Right. You know, there were telltale signs that guns had been fired in the house and that, you know, whatever they're describing, all the signs of the scuffle and everybody being terrified and everything all matches up. This is probably one of the most believable alien or extraterrestrial or E.T., you know, encounters that I've ever heard of. Right, right. I would have to agree with you. I would give it also an eight. I hate to agree so fully, but... If someone could present me some evidence that would sell me on the fact that it is not real, I would accept it. I try to be a malleable person in terms of information. I like being right enough that if I am proven to be wrong, then I'm fine accepting that I'm wrong. But this story to me is compelling. The thing that is so incredibly compelling to me is that there were 11 people there. I have never heard of another story that had nearly as many people having such a direct interaction. And out of the 11, 10 people said that they laid their own personal eyes upon this alien. I think it is crazy to think about. These people were all sober. These people were not rich. Do you think that they would be shooting through the walls of their home with people in the house, the house full up of people, and they are shooting through the walls of their home. Could you imagine how terrified you'd have to be of what was outside to do that? Absolutely. These are people who have been living in the country. They know what a bird looks like. They know what, like, critters in the woods look like. Yeah. A whole house totally full of people are not all going to look outside at an owl and be like, no, that ain't no owl. That's this creature. It looks very specific, and we've all agreed on the description already. It's so unlikely to me. It's so unlikely to me. How would you convince 11 people to go along with this charade? It's just inexplicable to me. I love this story. Like I said, it is one of those stories that I get a very homey feeling about because it's like the stories of my people. When we're talking about, like, Mothman shit and, like, this guy and Flatwoods Monster, all these guys are part of the cultural lexicon but at the same time like where i'm from all i had to do is poke around for a minute and like i know somebody whose parents have seen fucking mothman like these are stories of people who i know right mm-hmm. it's not that far removed for me and so i do i do love these stories a little bit more than the other ones but i, I think it's real i 100 percent co-sign the kelly hopkins goblin he's probably my favorite he's probably my favorite and i'm sure 
if they haven't already shown up, you need to hop into the Discord. Uh, if if I haven't already posted a dozen of my favorite goblin picks in there, I'm sure somebody else will take it upon themselves to do it. And again, if you haven't joined, that's patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity. And you know who you will not find in the caves of Southern Kentucky? Uh, Corey Grella, because she lives in the caves of Alaska. <laughs> I think, and I hate... I hate to actually you, but the latest information I have shows that she lives above ground. Uh, well, sucks to be her. Well, <laughs> whether you like it or not, being the number one insurance agent in Alaska usually requires some light and fresh air. Sure. Well, maybe I guess I don't understand the insurance game. <laughs> it's taken me this long to figure it out. <laughs> But you know what I do know about is Harlem Township. What what happens there? You know, you take a little 20-minute drive and there you are. Assuming you're leaving from central Ohio. I love to go through there and see what's popping. One of the top aspects of Columbus, Ohio is wherever you are, you can get to any other part of Columbus or the greater Columbus area within about 20 minutes. Right. Harlem Township is one of those places. Right. You can absolutely go there accidentally if you're trying to go to the mall. <laughs> You know, on a misty August evening in Harlem Township, it's so quiet and peaceful. Who knows? Maybe the goblins will come to you next. Maybe if you're lucky. The Harlem Goblins. <laughs> so thanks again to our sponsors, Corey Grella and Harlem Township. If you'd like to sponsor us, you know the spot. Patreon.com slash Garbage Brain University. Thanks again for listening. And remember, everything is real. I love you. Goodbye.